Dolly Madison's generous bosom. <laughs> and just to phrase generous bosom, I am dying. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay, so we know Dolly's got big tits. Is yes. this the deal? Yes, okay, so Dolly's exactly. got big tits and, and people talk about it. It's 200 years later, we're still talking about them. They, they really must have been something. <laughs> they must have been amazing. <laughs> History, I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History, I'd like to Hello, and welcome to HILF, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. My guest is Brian Kiley, an Emmy-winning comedy writer for Conan O'Brien and longtime fixture in the world of stand-up. And he and I are in something of a love triangle. We are both madly and unreasonably in love with history. And we discovered the fact while performing together because, for once, I wasn't the only nerd with a book at the bar. <laughs> For this episode, Brian and I take turns sharing the funniest moments, the how could that have happened stories from the wide variety of timelines that we've dog-eared in our history books over the years. The Children's Crusade, John Glenn, Squeaky Frome, and Andrew Jackson's Parrot are just a few of the stars of this episode. I'm so glad you're here. Before we jump in, will you give the show a little shot in the arm and please leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen. When you do, you will have done your part to rescue a foul-mouthed comedian with an overpriced education from the painful realization that without this podcast, all I have is being good at bar trivia. Which I am, by the way, really good at bar trivia. <laughs> but first, join me and my guest, Brian Kylie, for episode 16, History's Great Mistakes. Let's get started. Well, I'm delighted that you are here. Oh, Brian. this is so exciting. Well, congratulations on your podcast. It's so great. Oh, thanks. It's really great. And, and you can, it can tell just listening, like your enthusiasm for it. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. it's your passion project, mm -hmm. which is so fun. Thank you. Yes. And you and I if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, were we in Palm Springs doing a show it together? Was, it was somewhere out there. Yes. We it were was doing like some, yes. one, of those, one of those gigs where it's a couple Adjacent hours out Love gigs, And it's out. Yes. Yeah. You're out in the, somewhere in the desert. They're, They're old so because, fun. Yeah, And I are. think that this one, was it gate? It was like a gated community yes. somewhere. Anyway. It was fun, and they were very nice, and you and I were both doing, I don't know, 20 minutes or something like that, and I had my book, if I, and I think yes. I had my book on the spice train. You did, yes. And and you were, oh, book. sort of like when you suss out someone who likes your favorite TV show, or they're wearing a t-shirt with your <laughs> yes. favorite band, and yes. you sort of want to venture in, like, I, I, I'd like to talk about that book. <laughs> well, I was like, how is that, you know? <laughs> what are you reading right now? What is the book that, that uh, you've got open at the moment? I'm reading a book about the... Um... <laughs> uh, the Battle of the Bulge. So my dad was in the Battle of the Bulge. Really? Yes. Holy shit. Yes. So, uh, and this was just, this was a a book I found in a used bookstore for like two bucks. Oh, cool. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I get, you know what I mean? And it's one of these that I thought, oh, I'll read this in a, a day, but it's tiny print mm -hmm. and it's more dense than you realize. You're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is actually, but it's actually substantial. So it's, I mean, it's good. I mean, there are times when there's nothing worse than getting a book that you're fascinated in the subject and you bring it home and you go, oh, this book is terrible. Oh, it's the worst. And it's funny because I've, I've always got a book for this podcast, of course. I will sometimes, I want the, a thorough account, but I am also keeping an eye to like page count. Yes, yes, I, yes. I can't, you know, and oh I'm my like, God, yeah. And the book, I don't know if you can see it over here at the end of the table. This is my, my oh, next wow. endeavor is Watergate. Nice. So I'm currently reading my Joan of Arc book and I started this Watergate book. It is a tome. It's like, it's like 700 pages and that tiny little print. And it's so good though. I mean, I find oh, Watergate, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, I, and I've read all the yes. President's Men like years yes. ago and I've seen the movie. And so this book is like a new history of Watergate that takes into account everything that happened after, you know, basically right, 1980. Right, right. It starts in the introduction with who is Deep Throat. We now know who is yes, Deep Throat and that do. kind of yeah. stuff. So it's really, it's really fascinating. But when it arrived in the mail, I was like, oh, good. <laughs> I know, oh, I know. Good. that happened. Before you and I sure, crawl sure, sure. deep <laughs> up the annals of history, um, I do want to give an introduction to uh, our listeners, of my friend Brian. You're a comedian. You're everywhere. You've been performing comedy uh, all over the place for a long yes. time. You've been a staff writer, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, a staff writer for Conan O'Brien since 1994? Yes. The internet doesn't lie. <laughs> Holy shit. And you've had 16 Emmy nominations. Well, I just got one yesterday. 
17. Well, uh, so, so did you win? <laughs> no, no, no. So I, so I, this past year I wrote for Ellen. That's right. That's so right. we just got a daytime Emmy, which doesn't really count. I don't, you don't, they, don't you it's like, second shelf. Please, yes. <laughs> but you we did use get... it as like a bottle opener. <laughs> keep it in the kitchen. Two thousand seven, you won. Was that yes. that was for Conan or mm-hmm. for and, yep. and that was the best writer for Variety, Music and Comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been on Letterman six times. You've uh, been seven. On, Jesus, seven times you've been on Letterman. Yep. You've been on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno four times. Yeah. And Late Night with Conan twelve times. Yes. But here, here, well, here's the funny thing about all those. With Letterman and Conan, it was almost always a last minute thing. Somebody canceled, and they're like, "Get out there!" You know, so <laughs> Who cancels on Letterman. Well, sometimes it's funny because I think in New York, like it, this, it never happened at Conan and TBS because there's just so many people here. Totally, right. you know. But in New York, they would try to get somebody, you know, from SNL or uh-huh. whatever, you know. Um, Al Roker did the show like forty times. You know what I mean? I mean, I can't. I, I know that you're you're familiar with the with the people there. You're you're more familiar with the environment. But it seems to me that it would be a daunting task to just all of a sudden be a quick last minute fill in on a late night. Well, the crazy thing is, so Letterman, I didn't know I was in the running. And what happened was, when I was twenty five, I auditioned for the show, and the producer came up to afterwards and he told me I was very good. And then I didn't never heard from them. And then I would do an audition every once in a while, but nothing. So one day I'm at work. This is 17 years later. Mm-hmm. I'm at work. They call me and they go, hey, there's a weird question. Can you do the show today? And I was like, okay. And it's 1 o'clock. And I was like, uh, sure. And they go, okay, we'll call you back. And they call me back and they say, okay, you're on. Dave is sick. So Bruce Willis was supposed to be the first guest, so now he's the host. So they needed an extra comic, and I was nearby. And I don't know how many people they called before me. Oh you know, goodness. they might have like had somebody else lined up who was out on the road, and they're like, "No, I'm in Chicago or whatever." So yeah. um, I, al- I always kept a suit in my office because <laughs> I had to do the Conan show sometimes. Yeah. So I just put my suit on and walked over there and. The beauty was I had a good night's sleep because I didn't know, you know what I yeah, mean? I didn't have right. time to you get nervous. nervous. I just went and just like, okay, just go do it. So because of that, then I, then they would subsequently call me after that and have me do it, you know? Crazy. Yeah. And you just did your five-minute set. Yes. Yeah. And then were you? did you chit-chat with Bruce Willis afterwards? No, it's so funny. And the same thing, like he would shake my hand and then say, you know, good job or whatever. Then they go to commercial and I'd say, hey, thanks very much or whatever. And that would be it. And the same thing with Dave. Like with Dave, I would say... I'd say, how's your son doing? Or something like that. Uh-huh. And he'd go, oh, he's great. How's Conan? Good. And then that would be that. And he would go yeah. back to his desk. And go, no. <laughs> so great. So how did you get the job as a writer on Conan? Well, so I started doing comedy in Boston. And I started in college. And then I did it for like 12 years or something. And I would go on the road like one week a month, say. Mm-hmm. And But I, you know, I was doing shows every night. And I was kind of lucky. There were so many venues in, in Massachusetts where, or New England where, you know, you'd be at a comedy club in Boston one night. And the next night you'd be at a college in Maine. And mm-hmm. then the next night you'd be at an Elks Club in New Hampshire. Yeah. Or, you know, then you'd be at a, a dive bar in Rhode Island. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I was getting a half hour every night. Oh, man. Yeah. Just getting all that stage time. I wasn't just doing five-minute sets like you are normally. Yeah. Very quickly, they, they just needed bodies. So I was getting a half hour virtually every night Amazing. for years. So I was hanging out with all the, the Boston comics, and we were all friends, and we'd play softball and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't realize that was networking. Do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You just think you hang out with your friends, you do a show, you meet and have a beer afterwards and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And... Like three Boston comics got hired at Conan. Oh, actually four. The one guy got fired. And then the other guys recommended me. And I sent in a packet. And they were like, yeah, okay, start tomorrow. And the show was so shaky then. I thought, well, I'll go do this for 13 weeks or maybe 26. You know, I only had 13-week contracts. Mm -hmm. And then each time, you know, the show kept going and going. And it was like, well, okay. At what point did you realize that this was... Kind of st- the job and kind of a hit show. Once we started getting nominated for Emmys, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, I think that we're kind of established now to some extent. Because co- writers would leave and they would go to work on sitcoms and go to other things. So, and some people went on to bigger and better things. You yeah. know, Bob Odenkirk and mm. Louis C.K. and oh yeah. Um, and but even writers who went on to write on sitcoms that you wouldn't know their names, they you know had great careers in sitcoms or whatever. But then it'd be guys that leave and then you'd never hear from them again. Yeah. So it was like, ooh, do you mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So 
just having two little kids and whatever. So I didn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So you're, so you're, the bulk of your time, your professional life was writing day, during the day you'd be writing with yes. Conan and then you'd still be gigging and hitting the road and uh, yes. performing comedy. And the nice thing about New York it's amazing. What was, a great deal. Well, I could do two or three shows in a night in New York. And right. so what I would do is I would, I would do two or three shows in a night and then I'd take the next night or two off and, and stay home with my little kids and stuff. Do you know oh, what I mean? What a dream. You know, Saturdays and Sundays, going to their games and all mm-hmm. that stuff, you know, trying to have that balance. It, it, it did work out that I wasn't on the road all the time as a comic where I know mm-hmm. these comics that they don't get to see their wife and kids. They're, yeah. they're away all the time. So I was lucky in that I didn't yeah. have to do that, you know. More than that. I mean, you fit in time because uh, Brian has written two books that I saw, The Astounding Misadventures of Rory Collins mm-hmm. and Maybe Kevin. Yes. Which both sound fantastic. And when I was reading the description, they're not uh, focused on the life of stand-up comedy. They're fiction. Oh, no, no, and, not at all. <laughs> and maybe Kevin even it wasn't, it's not necessarily a funny story at all. Is that no, right? No, yes, yes. I, it's, they were very dark stories. Uh-huh. And it was very liberating for me to write a s- story and have characters as opposed to just writing short jokes all the time. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And swearing and having things and it was like when i wrote rory what happened was i was taking this writing class i wrote what i thought was a short story Mm -hmm. so i read that in class or whatever and the teacher's like well that's not a short story that's the first chapter of a novel and i was like what so then each week i'd bring in so the woman would be like okay so and so we're gonna hear from this person's gonna read their thing and this person's gonna read their thing brian's gonna read from his novel and I would want to burst out laughing. Like, yeah. what? What? Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when uh, we got taken off the air with uh, the, the Tonight Show mm-hmm. thing, then I had all the time. So then I would put in, you know, three hours a day of, okay, I'm going to get up, shave and shower, and go write and not just sit around all day. And, and uh-huh. you know what I mean? Yeah. So it kind of gave me something to do. Yeah. And, um, but I... <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I would have an idea of what the chapter was going to be about or whatever, and then I would write it, and it would be... Like, my actors always try to be TV clean and go on TV, and this was just very dark and dirty <laughs> and whatever and twisted, and sometimes I'd finish it, and I'd, at the end of the day, I'd be like, why, why did I write that? Like, what is wrong? You know what I mean? Brilliant. Like, Yes. Yeah, it's so. got to be such a cool creative situation to have used one part of your brain the quick family friendly (laughs) funny tv ready side of your brain for so many years and also not just not just comedy but comedy that is going to be spoken i imagine largely by yourself or conan like you know who's going to tell these how they're going to be delivered when you write a book as you said not only do you get to sort of inhabit a lot of different characters. You get to follow the course of this the, yes, journey. Yes, as and the far story as you want. Absolutely, and what the story took me where it's like, oh, I didn't know it was going there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, it like the story had a life of its own. So when you arrived yes. here today, and I see you've got your notes, I'm so excited to get started. <laughs> and you said to me, I love coming on the podcast and talking about history because you don't get bored with this stuff oh, yes. like everyone else in my life yes. gets bored Oh my God, the stuff. rolling eyeballs and the, the I was roll- like, oh, please. No. And even my husband, who you met when yes. you first got here, who was a guest on episode five, he, he did me the, the honor of sitting down and being a guest for me one time. He sees me coming with a book. And this look on my face, and I see his body language get like settle in, <laughs> you know, because she's yes. coming over here well, like that was... an evangelical yes. coming up to my door, and I like I know, <laughs> I know that's what's so coming. funny. Well, that would be the running gag with my wife. Like I would have a, a seven hundred page book about Nixon, and I'd be like. Don't worry. When I finish it, I'll, I'll, I'll let you borrow it or whatever. And no one is interested in borrowing it, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I, or, he, or on the other hand, though, he'll call me over. Because we do get these fuckable little nuggets from history. Yes. These incredible characters. These, I yes. mean, it's why we're all so intrigued. And then you meet people out in the world that you know would find it very interesting. And he'll find, I see him at a party looking and he is, <laughs> and he's gesturing wildly. Come here. Come here. I found one. I found one. He's, he really wants to know that's so funny and it's like easier than, than pulling it up on his phone yeah don't tell me tell this guy oh that's so funny it's like a foxhole right oh i love that the other thing that happens to me is you know when you're a comic and you're a comedy writer and i know you have this you when you're watching things you're watching comedies on tv a lot of times i'm not laughing 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm thinking, oh, that, and sometimes I'm thinking, oh, that's funny, or that was so well done, or whatever. But you're kind of analyzing, and it's hard to just, and my daughter would get so mad at me because we'd watch some show that, you know, we both like, and she'd be like, you're not laughing. I'm like, no, no, it's good. It's good. But I will be sitting by myself <laughs> um, reading a history book, and I will laugh out loud because there's something had to happen you're totally not expecting anything humorous do you know what i mean yeah you know i was reading one there was just it was about the you know the founding fathers and this and that and they just talked about dolly madison and they used the phrase something they said something about jolly dolly madison's generous bosom <laughs> and just the phrase generous bosom i am dying you know what i mean yeah. where the last that you'll it's like it's like i'm sure like when i'm on an airplane I must look like a lunatic where I'm reading a book about 1776 and I'm doubled over. They must be like, what's this guy? deranged man here. Yeah. But, I mean, come on. Her yeah. generous bosom, like, how can you not laugh this at that? This elaborate woman. Abs- and on. also some some historian 80 years ago, like, like that's the, fr- like, they had to, like, why did he even. Yeah, okay, so we know Dolly's got big tits. Is yes. this the deal? Yes. Okay, so Dolly's exactly. got big tits and, and people talk about it. It's 200 years later, we're still talking about them. They, they really must have been something. <laughs> they must have been amazing. <laughs> Oh, Brian, I am just in nerd <laughs> paradise with you right now. It's like, and we got the post-its and your multicolored highlighters. I was so excited that you agreed to be a guest. And often what I do then is I say, what do you want me to research for you? Or what are we going to talk about? What subject curls your toes? And you came back and you said, I just want to talk about stuff in history that makes us laugh. Yes. Which I yes. thought was such a great idea. And um, so what I've done is I've uh, accumulated some of my favorite stories. Great, great. And I know that you've got some of your yes. stories as well. So we're going to kind of take, take yes, turns. Yes, yes. I, think, I feel like mine more. will be little quick ones. but it, I'm but... so thrilled. As I was kind of trying to figure out like, what is it that makes me laugh? Like, what are the things that have kind of pulled out? I found that I tend to be most drawn to great mistakes. The ones where just some asshole really stepped in it. I think one of the reasons why I keep coming back to them and I like to talk about them and I like to research them is the same reason that I watch Hoarders or TMZ. <laughs> you know, there is a there is this weird human comfort that we all get when you see someone else really fuck up. That's so funny. I'm always envisioning the aftermath. So mm-hmm. after the guy he fucks up or whatever, you yeah. know, and then he's going to go and the, the, he's in the Oval Office with the president and was like, hey, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what that's happened? the stuff like I'm, I'm, I'm projecting what happens after yeah. the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, Someone's got to tell you. Yes. Who do you have to sit down yes. and be like, and so? Explain. I, I put this yes. in my eye because I thought. And you're yes. like, oh, no. Yes. Exactly. It's not all look at this idiot for me anyway, because it is about redemption. I think I when I when I encounter these horrible situations yes. or these, ter- I think, but they got through that. We we got yes. through that. They didn't just drop dead. They they woke up the next day and, and moved on with their yes. life. And, you know. And for for me, a lot of times it just it's the envisioning the whole thing and people's react. I I don't know. It's like. Uh, it just kind of plays out in my mind like a little mini movie, and I'm just Same. laughing about it. I'm so excited. So why don't you take it away and okay. give me your first your All right, first I'll give you my story. first one. So this, I don't know if I'm supposed to footnote or whatever. I think this was, as I recall, it was in Nathaniel Philbrick's book, the Mayflower. Okay. Um, and it's all about, you know, the, the, the pilgrims arriving and all this stuff. They capture a Native American who's seven feet tall. It's oh this oddity. God. And they bring him back to London. And they're like, look at this guy, you know, because they had brought back other Indians. But this guy was like, look, at, you know. So when he's there, he realizes he's like, oh, these people like gold. So uh-huh. he says to him, he goes, you know, I know where there's a gold mine on Martha's Vineyard, but only I know where it is. And they're like, oh, there's a gold mine. And well, will you show us? He's like, absolutely. So they put him on a ship and they're coming back across the ocean. And as soon as they sight Martha's Vineyard, he dives overboard, swims away, and they never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed so hard at him outsmarting them and then them being like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where they've got, to, that's where I picture them coming back and they go, well, do you have the gold? We don't have the gold. Well, why? Do you have, do you have the Indian? Here's the thing. He was so um, tall. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. Oh, my God. So this is the history that yes. we have, which means that either nobody 
thought enough to lie about it right and be like he overpowered us yeah. he was seven feet tall yes. i mean he broke three guys yeah. necks and then he you know but just to be like no he said he'd be right back <laughs> and we waited boy we waited we waited and he never came you back. have no idea how long we waited oh my and just gosh. the that's uh, just that knowing that someone also got called into the carpet after that like you took a ship all across the ocean for that you know for, and those just made me laugh oh, so that's hard so great yeah don't you wonder too like as the guy coming back how do you explain to your native american brothers and sisters the boat ride yes oh, the whole let thing. alone london and it also i feel like these are the lessons too that maybe deep in the recesses of your mind you find yourself someday <laughs> a hostage <laughs> right and Absolutely. you think to yourself well, these guys seem to like cocaine. <laughs> you know what? Um, I know where there's a, a cocaine that's so mine funny. in Wisconsin. <laughs> but that's also so funny that they're they're thinking, well, he couldn't possibly outsmart us. Where yeah. you know what I mean? And this savage. Mine. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And just them getting their comeuppance like that in such a humiliating way. Oh, oh my God, I was dying. Oh, that's you know? great. What a great story. <laughs> This is the story of the Children's Crusade. Are Ooh. you familiar with the Children's Ooh, Crusade? Oh, didn't go well. Yes. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler didn't alert. Go well. And really, you can pretty much assume that none of the <laughs> stories of the Crusades. What a terrible idea. But, terrible. but also, this one, it's bad enough with the soldiers didn't go well. Yeah. Now we're going to spend centuries. It's yeah. like, come on. And, and so if you're not as familiar with the Crusade, this is, you know, the, the endless wars between Christians and Muslims over their shared holy city of Jerusalem. So all of our monotheistic religions have the same fucking city as their <laughs> yeah. most holy city city <laughs> and over the course of many hundreds of years they fight over whose temple and how and and how are the pilgrims are treated and this is basically the beef of the crusades the first crusade the christians win they take the city but then it all falls apart and it goes back and forth hand to hand the children's crusade takes place in 1212 and it is right after the fourth crusade <laughs> and the fourth crusade's note is that that was the one where the christian army on their way to Jerusalem to fight the Muslim infidel, stopped instead in Constantinople and burned the Christian capital to the ground. As you would. <laughs> As why you why would. wouldn't you? Right. And so the Pope is starting to think perhaps we've lost our way <laughs> in these crusades. And the Christians of the world are starting to think this isn't terribly going terribly well. But but have they lost the the hope of, of reclaiming Jerusalem? No. At least not. A boy named Nicholas of Cologne, he has a profound vision, this kid. God speaks to him, says the reason we keep effing up these crusades is because we are using violence. Violence and murder? Come on, I'm right. Jesus. Right. Okay, peace. The meek shall inherit the earth, uh, sure, Nicholas. Sure, sure. Here's what we need to do to fix all this is I need the children to go into Jerusalem and slay the enemy with their innocence. Wow. And Nicholas is like, that sounds like a fucking plan, God. And he gets the children of Europe And how together. old is Nicholas? Nicholas is about 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And the head count of children that ultimately follow him is about 30,000. Oh, my God. I know. So 30,000 kids all in a roughly teenage years walk across Europe. And again, the history of the Crusades, this is where we always get into a little bit of a bump, which is the Mediterranean. <laughs> Okay, it's big. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you look at that map, lady. It's big. And uh, it's hard to go around it. Yep. And you got to get food. Sure. Get so getting across the Mediterranean is always a, a trick. And they kept saying, Nicholas, kiddo, what are we going to do when we get to the Mediterranean? And Nicholas was like, come on. We are on God's side. You know, God doesn't fuck with water. He can right. part it. He can walk on it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. So they get to the Mediterranean. Then miraculously, just like Nicholas said, seven huge ships emerge they come out dude gets off the boat lead boat and is like kids i'm here god said you needed a lift son nicholas is like fucking a right? <laughs> right right all aboard everybody <laughs> okay so these kids get on these seven ships this is unbelievable oh my god two sink off the coast of sardinia everyone dies but five of those ships do go successfully to africa where all of those kids are sold into slavery <laughs> So and that was the children's uh, crusade. You know, I've been a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> and I had a lot of dumb ideas mm. as a 12-year-old boy. And could you mm -hmm. 
it would have te- been terrible things would have happened if everyone listened to me as a yes. 12 year old. Do you know what I mean? I have never met a 12 year old boy that wasn't full of terrible ideas. Yes. And I don't yes. think anyone knows it more than 12 year old boys. I feel like 12 year old boys look around at each other and think, this is terrible. But these knights and pe- they four crusades worth oh of awful God. were just like, I guess. I mean, <laughs> why not? And plus, when God talks to you in 1212, right. who, who's going to say, Here's, a, here's an interesting <laughs> footnote I learned about this story later, is that the families of these kids were pretty mad. <laughs> and they didn't know exactly who, you know, God, it wasn't yeah. God's fault, of course, and they didn't know who. Um, ultimately, Nicholas's father was arrested and executed by the angry families oh, really? of all of these oh. kids that followed Nicholas. Yes, he should have said, no, I'm sorry, we're going to, you know... <laughs> Go to medieval Disney or whatever instead, and I know. not yes. See, so even yes. even in twelve twelve, you know, parents were responsible for uh, their that's idiot so teenage that they children. They were like, "Hey, buddy, come on." <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. What do you got next okay. for me? So this is so. I don't. Did you see the movie The Right Stuff? Is that about pilots? It's about pilots and NASA. It's like the first NASA. So it's a very memorable scene in that. It's a true story where John Glenn goes up and he is orbiting. He's the first American to orbit the Earth, and he's going around. And at one point, the sun is coming up, and there's all these little sparkly things around his uh, spacecraft, and the light is reflecting off it, and it's it's all this, so it's like a, these little tiny prisms, like all these different colors, it's whatever. He starts crying. It's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen, and he's telling them what's happening, what he's seeing. He's like, "Oh my God, this is so beautiful!" He's crying, and they don't know what it is for years. They don't know what it is. So a few years ago, they discover what it is. It was his pee. Because, <laughs> you know, they had where they would, you know, eject the pee. They had like a little thing and they would eject the pee out into the sure. into space. And it was cold and it would <laughs> froze. Crystallized. Crystallized. <laughs> and the lights shining off it. And these little be And the most beautiful thing, they're like, oh... That was your urine. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. You know, that is, <laughs> not only is that really funny, it is also kind of beautiful. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that that, this, that the, the composite material of your own body. Absolutely. Once in, in the yes. alien vastness of yes. space brings you to tears. And, and he's thinking this is some kind of intergalactic, you know what I mean, like yeah. outer space thing. It's like. But he never knew it. You said they only found that I, out recently. I, I don't know if they found that out before he died or not. Can you imagine the hypermasculine NASA energy. Oh like my God. Somebody's yeah. peeing on him. Like, you know what I mean? Somebody hears yes. this story and is like, yes. hey, John Glenn, heard you like, you know. Yes. Oh my God. All right. Here's my next one okay. for you, Brian. Yes. Um, it's called Tulip Mania. Are you familiar? I with am it? in Holland. Yes. 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 I okay. love it. So this is 1634 Holland. Um, and, and at this point, listen, in the Netherlands, the Dutch, they are the most economically advanced society yes. on the planet. They have, yes. We know the spice trade. They got all yes. that and, stuff. And they're cornered. punching way above their weight for a little country Huge. where they've got you know colonies around the world and colonies so around the world yes. they're running everything their ships are incredible they're great businessmen great and one of the things they've yeah. done with all this wealth is invent economic uh infrastructure yeah like yep. the stock market and the futures trade incredible uh, incredible yeah so in the midst of this this old monk named carlios clusius <laughs> no jokes there um gets this rare tulip bulb that only he has, and this thing is fucking stunning. Anyone who sees these things when they bloom is overwhelmed because it's like lightning bolts of color mm. shooting up every petal, and every petal is like dynamic and unique, and they're impossible to find, and how did you get this? And he won't share it with anybody. So then there's like a combination of factors. It's rare, and only certain people have access to it. As we know, that's an economic function. Also, the reason these tulips are so colorful and look the way they do is because of a virus that spreads from tulips. Right. So it's like so a you flaw. Want the vi- it's a flaw. Yes. Hmm. So they want this virus in order for the tulip to look this way. But the virus only travels through the bulbs and not through the seeds. And if you have a bulb, it takes like 7 to 12 years for it to flower. But the seeds will flower in a shorter period of time, but they won't necessarily have the color. So I am not a money person. I don't understand economics much at all. Yeah. 
But um, this is the sort of primordial soup for economic predictions in terms of people being like, okay, so five to seven years for this to turn into something that will then multiply. And this multiplies at a slower rate. And then the likelihood of the colors and the petals and then who would buy it and how far would they buy it. And so they start to establish this very highly lucrative futures market on tulips and tulip bulbs. And it becomes one of their number one economic functions and they the way it's traded how it's traded who gets it to the point where at its peak in 1636 tulip bulbs that didn't even exist yet were trading hands 10 times a day people were trading estates family estates worth millions for like three tulip bulbs it's so unbelievable people are exchanging their children as dowries for tulip bulbs one guy was executed for eating a tulip bulb that he thought was an onion (laughs) (laughs) the guy's minding his own business he's having some onion rings exactly and these come in these guys come in um they're like hey that's funny yeah they're like tulip rings isn't a thing what are you doing (laughs) not yet not yet um and so it's obviously completely out of control and the bubble bursts. The first bubble we get yes, bursts because, right. like all bubbles and all futures market, yes. it hinges on how much someone will pay for this stuff. And once they come wise that this is not <laughs> worth it, overnight, it completely oh. dissolves. It all falls apart. It obviously didn't completely destroy Holland. They recovered right. from this. And I also love the idea of somebody who's not from Holland visiting maybe from a different culture or something and yeah. being like what like <laughs> like an outsider must have been like what especially like this poor sack who ate the tulip bulb you know yes you're like i even if somebody was like oh my yes. god buddy that's not an onion it's a flower yes. and you go oh are you telling me i've been poisoned like right. everyone seems so upset i had a tulip sandwich last week it was delicious it was delicious yes, it was so the, leave the guy alone <laughs> um listen okay. um, i want to take a short break okay we will probably be talking about history during the break also <laughs> but just in case you need to also go to the bathroom okay. or something and then we're going to come back with more of our great mistakes hey it's christine blackburn from story worthy Every Tuesday, listen to a brand new story worthy with fantastic comedians like Avi Lieberman, Bruce Baum, Steph Tolov, Dawn Brody, Ed Krasnick, and Angela Johnson Reyes. Plus, you'll hear true stories from other fantastic people like author Marion Keys, author Haley McGee. How about hearing a true story from the one and only Peter Brady, Christopher Knight? Well, that's the kind of entertainment you're going to hear over on Storyworthy. So check out Storyworthy, brand new every Tuesday. And one more thing, make it a Storyworthy week. <laughs> Have you been listening and thinking, oh, I've got a great history story I bet Don would love? Well, you're probably right. I can't wait to hear it. Have you been thinking, I have a history question that I want Dawn to answer for me? Well, I live for that kind of stuff. Are you nuts? Hit me up. Our email is hilfpodcast at gmail.com. We are at hilfpodcast on Instagram. Many of you have reached out already, which I love. So many, in fact, that we will be doing a listener question episode down the line. I know, sounds fun, right? Catch it all and be a part of it when you... are back we have had uh, fluid adjustments yes before we go on with more hilarious fuck-ups and stories <laughs> make us laugh from history um i do want to know who uh was the first comedian you remember seeing identifying with thinking yeah that's uh that's a job i think i'd like to do when we were in the sixth grade well i mean i love i always loved jokes and i remember i got in trouble when i was in elementary school i was in like the second grade or something where I took a joke book out of the library. It was the first book I took out of the library, and I didn't return it, but I didn't. I wanted to keep it. Mm. And they're like, you got to return it. And my brother's like, you can renew it. You can just say, go back there and say you want it again. And I was like, ah, that's too risky. i got to hold on to this. You know what I mean? <laughs> what did they say, no? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I got in trouble for And it, it's just funny that it was a joke book, you know. But when we were in the sixth grade, we read this book as a class by Dick Gregory. So Dick Gregory was this African-American comic in the 50s, 
sixties, and then he became like a political comedian, and then became like an activist or whatever. But but this time he was just a comedian. Yeah. We read this book as a class, and he would talk about spending all day thinking what was funny, what made people laugh, and all this stuff. And I remember just being like, "That's so cool mm. that that's your job," mm. and that made me want to be a comedian. But I didn't know how to be a comedian. Do you know what I mean? Because there mm-hmm. weren't comedy clubs when I was a little kid. It wasn't something you heard about. So even though I never saw him perform, I, I think I finally, like when I was in my 30s, I saw him at the Museum of Television. I went and, and watched him do a oh, stand-up set. Nice. But just reading that book, I think that planted the seed of like, oh, you can actually be a comedian as, a, as your job. Yeah. 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 Like the chemistry of a joke. Yes. And how it works. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking across the table at my friend Brian. He's got a list. I do. I'm so excited about this. I was reading a biography of Ben Franklin, and it talked about this. So in the 1770s, the Montgolfier brothers, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, they invent the the hot air balloon. Can you think about it? I mean, prior to that, anything in the sky was a bird or a bat, I guess, and that's it. Yeah. You know, so they send it up as a, a, a as a test run. It's just the balloon, okay. And they send the balloon, and it goes up, and it drifts away, and it drifts like thirty miles away, oh. and it starts running out of gas, whatever. So the villagers in this town, thirty miles away, are like, "What the hell is that?" Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So the whole village chases this thing, and they don't know what it is. They're thinking it's like an alien or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. an alien spaceship or something. Sure. And it finally comes down and lands and they beat it with sticks. <laughs> of course. They, <laughs> they surround this thing and they're whacking it and they're whatever. And that image just made I was dying. Oh my god. You know? What year is this? Seventeen seventy eight or something. Do you know what I mean? I mean you know what's hilarious yes. is that I can't imagine many neighborhoods in America today would behave much differently. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's like human nature doesn't change. And, and these people, they've never seen anything like anything this. Anything like it. And they have no, they're terrified. They have no idea. And just oh. them. And, 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 and it's funny to me. It's like, they weren't just fascinated by it. Yeah. You know, as it's like, yes, that would be fascinating. No, they're terrified. This is we've got to do something about this. This is an attack. Right. Yes, and then beating this, you know. Oh my God! And like you talked about how yeah. the things, the things that you wonder, like this poor guy, when he went to get his balloon, had to be like, "What'd you, what'd you do to <laughs> what, it? What? That's my baby. Do you know how long we crafted this thing? You know, right? right. And then be like, "Well, yeah, I, suppose <laughs> I could have guessed they would have thought this was either God yes. or an alien. Yes. That was why. Did you see the movie Cowboys versus Aliens? I didn't. I, I fucking loved. Oh, that you movie. did. I, I did. I don't. I don't remember why. I love Harrison Ford. <laughs> right, right, right. So I, that's a. I will I, lay down in traffic. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. So of course. they put him in a cup. And um, Daniel Craig never hurt anybody. <laughs> well, he does so, hurt people, but I see what you're saying. But beautifully, so yes. elegantly, really good. It's silly, but the but the thing that I found so intriguing about it is that it is just as it says, cowboys versus sure. aliens. But your point about there was nothing in the sky, why it's so interesting to have a super sci-fi movie set in the Old West is because watching the cowboys try to figure out what this is, we've always, in my lifetime, any anything in the air could be a weather balloon, Absolutely. an airplane, yes. a rocket. Now it could be a drone. It could be a number of things. But yes. for cowboys, it was trying to find the words i think they called it a freight train in the sky just even hearing yes. hearing the writers use what examples they would have had right right that was fascinating so fast i love it okay give me another one okay hit, hit me again so this is one i don't know if you know the story so when jimmy carter was running again so he's he's the president yes. he wins in 76 so he's re he's running for re-election in 1980 against ronald reagan against ronald reagan and things had not been going well for, for carter <laughs> poor jimmy. you know poor jimmy and like he, he his heart is in the right place. yes he really and he was he had such bad luck you know you travel to different places and you get off the airplane and the local population they they greet him that you know and they would have a band there like sometimes like a local high school band or whatever and they would play this song marching through georgia which is a famous song and 
That's a song about Sherman burning Georgia to the ground. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. marching through, just oh, <laughs> it's all destruction. He's yeah. just coming in and destroying Georgia, whatever. And it's like, look, he's from Georgia, and Georgia's in the name, but that is not guys. This yes, and guys. Carter would be like, that is not a Southern Stop. song. Like Stop he it. would cringe, and and no one's like, guys, could you could you read the lyrics here, maybe? Because somebody, do you know what I mean? Anything, and they have no idea that they're. It's, it's infuriating him, you know, and it happened yeah. dozens of times, like wherever he went, you know, he's in Michigan, there's a local high school, we've got this, <laughs> they practice oh, for months, it's like, oh, no. no, so, and then one time he was fishing, and this rabbit, first of all, I didn't know rabbits could swim, apparently, yeah, yes, Crazy. so it was a swamp rabbit that was being chased by some hounds, jumps in, and is swimming at him, and he's got to knock it away with his oar or whatever, and it was really like a nothing story, but somehow it got created a... There was a killer rabbit attacking oh. Jimmy Carter. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is the kind of like the Carter head where it's like, oh, you know, this no. is a story that no one, it should have never seen the light of day. It's just a nothing thing. Yeah. But it turned into, oh, of course, Carter. Like, you know, whatever. Oh, poor guy. But this is the one I want, really want to tell you about. So he's at the Democratic convention and he's giving the big speech. It's not, things aren't going well for him. But if you can give a killer speech at the convention, maybe kind of Come turn on, things around Jimmy. absolutely yeah. so he's revving them up and they're you know and he's going the democratic party is a party of great leaders we have franklin delano roosevelt <sighs> harry s truman <sighs> john f kennedy <sighs> lyndon baines johnson <sighs> so they're just you know they're really with him loving it and he goes and a man who would have made a great president hubert horatio hornblower Horatio Hornblower had, was a movie, and I think it had been a book. It's a pirate movie. It's a book starring Gregory Peck. I was just like, yes. Horatio Hornblower? Yeah. So I can't remember. I, I, I think it was a book first, and then it became this movie with Gregory Peck. But it was just this Freudian slip. Oh, but you no. hear the crowd go, he, Hornblower? Do you know what I mean? Oh, no. And especially then. Like, if it was one thing if he's... If he's in the middle of nowhere giving a speech and he makes yeah. the flub, it's And it's like, still the 70s. It's not going to be on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But no, especially in those days, there's three networks, you know, Shit. that they're all covering this. So And they're waiting for him to fuck up. Absolutely. So there's, you know, there's 50 million or 60 million people watching this. And it's like, Hornbart. <laughs> Do you oh, know what I mean? And God. you see him cringe. And then he goes, Humphrey. Oh. <laughs> 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 but it was too late. And, oh, no. you know, and my brother and I were talking about, you know, we were teenagers and we're dying. Yeah. And what we really wanted to happen after that is for him to take his briefcase, just put the papers in, close it up, <laughs> and just never be heard from again. You and know what I mean? Walk into the <laughs> that, street. <laughs> that, that's that. It's like, well. guys, you know, I tried. Oh, well. Yeah. And then, but, oh my God. And you can find it on YouTube and it's just, oh. it's so funny. And the party of a great man who should have been president and who would have been one of the greatest presidents in history, Hubert Horatio Hornblower. Humphrey. I feel like that sort of devastation really is <laughs> is only physically felt in a quiet exit. Yes. Like yes. as much as you want <laughs> yes. to punch the microphone <laughs> yes. and just bang yes. your head into the podium yes. instead you just put the cap back on yeah. your head and Guys. you hope that your heart stops beating yes. before you get to and the car he, you know i know i'm sure he had 20 more minutes in that speech but no like no just, you didn't just go okay yeah, and just <laughs> and you know being president's hard he already had one yeah. here yeah. Guys, had one term don't that's, worry about that's, it that's good enough yeah. i'll see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i love it um listen i have a new one for you okay Brian, because i'm so delighted to tell you about this i I'm, I'm wondering if maybe you've even seen it in real life it is an existing building so i did my first story 12 12 ad and then 1600 <laughs> this is a living history it is it is it is available in the world right now. It is a building in London in the in the financial district. It's a brand new high rise that was built it, it, since the millennium, mm -hmm. and it's sort of um, it, it looks really interesting. It's sort of growing upwards and outwards, almost like a growing plant, or like a if you took like a, a rectangle made out of play doh and just stretched it up and out. A little bit. It's a very interesting design. Um, it was approved in 2006 by the architect Raphael Velloni. I'm not pronouncing that right. Um, they began construction in 2009, and in 2014, it was completed. 
it was made smaller because it almost overpowered the cathedral. It was so big and beautiful, so right, they had right. to make it a little bit smaller. <laughs> and so its design was very unique, very interesting, and it was promised to have, as its, as its crowning feature, a rooftop public park. That was like the top three floors, and part of the reason why it opened up like this, it was this big, beautiful public park, and they, they, it needed to be a public park because it was being built in a conservation area. And so the park was kind of part sure, of the, sure. the linchpin to the whole thing being approved. When it was completed in 2014, the problems began to unfold with this building. One is the, it's not a park. And it's not public. <laughs> so the roof has some green space that is open to the air. The, the designs had these giant, beautiful, full-grown trees and like a water feature. And in reality, it's like some succulents and ferns kind of stuck to a slope. <laughs> and it's not public. You have to reserve a time. They only have 90-minute slots for a certain part of the day. And the rest of the day, you have to pay to use it. Or it's only accessible to the people who have already paid these sure, high sure, rents sure. To, to be in the building. <laughs> but the building itself is aggressive. It's concave design for a couple of hours every day. Shoots hot, hot light down on various parts of the streets of London <laughs> to the point where it uh, reaches degrees of 196 to 240 oh degrees. It has melted cars. Oh, my God. It has melted welcome mats. And it's, you know, because of the way the sure. world is, it's never exactly the same spot. And it's not like as a human being, if you just walk through it, you'd be okay. But with the concentrated light for more than a couple minutes, it is destroying. I mean, there's lawsuits for a guy's whole front bumper turned into like melted butter. Oh, my God. A journalist fried an egg <laughs> in a pan on TV to show how horrible and dangerous oh it is. Oh, my God. That's so funny. But then also the shape of the building has created these impossible wind tunnels that come instead of going like down the street it comes from the top of the building and like pushes people <laughs> down so when it's not melting cars and lighting welcome mats on fire it's knocking people off their feet with these like, oh my god that's so funny when i laughed out oh. loud so many times it was awarded the carbuncle award which is the worst architecture <laughs> award in london um the guy who hands it out says it's a challenge to find anyone with anything positive to say about this building oh my god and a city planner said that the building is a daily reminder to never allow such a planning disaster <laughs> To ever happen. Oh, that's again. what's what's the name of the building again? The building it is it is nicknamed the Walkie Talkie the because walkie. it's kind of what it looks like. Some people call it the Sky Scorcher <laughs> <laughs> instead of the skyscraper. Um, but after uh, it it was revealed that it was melting cars, uh, they call it the Fry Scraper. The Fry Scraper. Oh mm -hmm. my God, that's fantastic. I love. Oh, I've not God. seen it. I know I have some listeners in London. If you know about the Fry Scraper, yes. please. But tell here's, me here's the other thing. Like, I love. Don't you love like multi-million dollar fuck-ups? Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's because, yes. yes. And I like the idea. You talk about this architect, yeah. right? This yeah. poor guy. And people are like, how dare you? And he's like, you know what? I took a big swing. I took a big swing. You guys fucking loved it. Yeah. And like of the person who, the, the the company that owned the building sold it. And now how much you pay for rent. It's like owned by this. Oh, awful. Oh my God. Awful. Awful. And, and yeah. burning 240 Oh my God. 243 degrees for a couple of hours a day. This thing is just <laughs> a magnifying glass on the city of London. And like, what do you do? Oh my God. <laughs> just, I can't even imagine. Oh my God. Oh my God. And they <sighs> said they've they've strung up some uh shades you know they're they're trying to put up some triangular well, curtains oh, and things you know to... i'm irish i would be killed instantly just walking by that yes, you know you would be you'd oh. be a little you'd be a little brian yes, mcnugget i would oh my god <laughs> oh i know and like it's got to be painful too because i like to think that especially with things like architecture and this there's a lot of ego and a lot of like oh absolutely and so yes just He's this... this genius that built this building mm. it's like Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's mm. so fantastic. <laughs> All right, hit me again. Okay. I want more. All right, so I went to what's called a museum. 
Oh. And it's a museum of media in Washington, D.C. My son was doing an internship there, and I was visiting him. Anyway, I go to this museum. I go in the men's room, and above the urinals, they have these different headlines that are just, it's, you know, just screwed up headlines or whatever, people making mistakes. And there was a headline from, so in, in 1976, Reagan ran against President Ford for the Republican nomination. So... And almost beat him. The headline was supposed to say, you know, talking about the polls, it was supposed to say Ford and Reagan neck and neck in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. But no, the headline says Ford and Reagan neck in New Hampshire. (laughs) (laughs) And for you younger people, that means they were like making out. Mm. And the idea that these two old (laughs) Republican guys, you know what I mean? Like, I saw that. And I oh. could not, I literally came out of the bathroom, like doubled over crying. <laughs> and my son was like, what is, it was like, it was, I, it was one of these, also when you start laughing where you're kind of like in public and you're kind of trying not to laugh. Yeah. It's like you're oh. laughing in church or whatever. It's the best. And you're like, oh my God, I cannot stop now. People are always shocked when I'm helpless laughing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm usually pretty reserved and they'll say, ah, oh, that's funny, you know, whatever. But every once in a while... It's still, it's like look, you could just knock me over, and I I'm just t- totally helpless here. Yeah, I can't, you're like, this is the business. The, the comedy is my business. And yes, I can't this talk is for the a funniest thing I've ever seen. And also, I'm, I'm picturing those two, and also the two most unlikely. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like never in a billion years. Do you no. know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 they would be so appalled by the, You know what oh, I mean? Like oh my god, I was dying. <laughs> oh what a dream! And you too, like and necking is so there. Word. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean? Yes. I never used that word in my life. Yeah. But that's like a word from the fifties or something. Oh Do you know what I mean? You know what I love though? I love that the wordplay. I I have a friend. English is a second language, and she was I think like thirty five when she got the Uranus joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yes. I was like. The Uranus, the, 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 the wealth of, of humor that comes to you in third grade or whenever yes. you're, you, yes. you realize that anus yes. is the grown-up word for yes. butthole. Yes. And that we have this planet called why? your anus. Why, why did they do that? Oh, yes. yeah. And, but just watching her in her 30s. <laughs> Be like, you're And we were all, as adults, being like, that is as funny as you think it is. It is totally as funny as you think it is. But we all just went through that. Yes. Part. We've heard it a million times. So we're, we're not laughing at it now. However, it's totally. great that you've discovered this. It's a butthole. In the, yes. It's a butthole planet. Yes, that is that is the joke. Um, all right. Hey, you know what I think? I think we have time for one more. Okay. Will you Ooh. give me? I want. I know you've got more. Can you, can you dig deep in your own anals to, to find... One. Okay, there's a lot of pressure on this one. Okay, so (laughs) I think I'm gonna do. I think I'll do the squeaky from one. Ooh. So this was a. So I saw this on the History Channel when the History Channel used to show history, which it it doesn't anymore, which (laughs) enrages me. But anyway, I I loved it in the beginning. Like music, like MTV and the History Channel. What the fuck happened? Yes, I don't know what happened. And I I used to love it so much. Now it's like I I don't want to watch Ice Road Truckers or whatever. Mm -hmm. I want to see. But they had this. I think it was about presidential assassins or something. Squeaky Fromm tried to kill President Ford. So she was part of the Manson family and whatever. In this thing, they were interviewing her and him, and they're cutting back and forth between the two of them. Oh, interesting. So it was fascinating. And they're not in the same room. No. You know, they're separate. But it was just fascinating getting his to talking about it and then her talking about it. So she decided to shoot the president because she wanted to call attention to the plight of the California Redwoods. Makes perfect sense. Yes. You know, uh, they shouldn't cut down the Redwoods, which I don't think they were doing as far as I know. Squeaky may have had yes. a few lines crossed. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There yeah. was may have been. You would think somebody in the Manson family would have the shit together, but occasionally yeah. they had somebody who was a, a little bit off. Yes. So he was going up, you know, he's touring the country and he's going to be giving a speech and whatever. So he's shaking hands with people in the public and they're all coming up to the president and he's shaking hands and, and the secret servicemen are all around him and whatnot. He's saying, he was, and I spot this woman with bright red hair and she's wearing this red dress and I see her in the crowd. He couldn't help but notice her or whatever. And she's getting closer and he's shaking various people's hands and he says, oh, I look down expecting to see a hand and I see a gun in my belly. He said, my Secret Service agent, Larry, whatever, somebody, 
jumps on her and somebody else jumps out, you know, and they're all tackling her where it's like there's a gun and squeaky from goes. So all these people start jumping on me and diving on me. And I said, hey, take it easy. It's like, uh, take it easy. Something. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just trying to murder the president. Uh, take I it easy. Take it easy. I don't think they're overreacting here or whatever. But watching her, I was dying. It's I like, was like, what are you guys, trying to guys, do to me, guys? Guys, chill, please, because... You're I'm, acting like I have some sort of gun yes, in the president's belly button yes, or something. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm just a lady in yes. a dress. And you're like, have you seen what they do to people who streak? At the Super Bowl? <laughs> they break those fucks naked bodies. Have you ever seen how hard yes. they knock yes. out a streaker? Squeaky, you think they're going to yes. be gentle on you I with know. a gun on the present nicer? Yes. Than Come on. And I love the idea that she's th- just like that they're... That they are unreasonable. <laughs> well, you know, it's um, crazy. I think the recent events of a guy who ran up on stage at the Hollywood Bowl yes, yes, and yes. tackled Dave Chappelle during a, a comedy show. And I don't know if you saw the pictures of him being taken into an ambulance, but his arm was all turned yeah, up yeah, yes. the wrong way. He, he didn't look so good. And I think that, that um, his treatment was delivered uh, unto him by a combination of security because he did appear to have a weapon and he tried I think to appear that he had yeah. a weapon and just Dave's friends. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I yes. Mean? I wish I had friends like that if I was uh, if, if I ever, you know, in some Me too. Well, Brian, Kylie, I could Sit here and talk history with you all Yes, day. yes, yes. Please tell me that you will come back. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm only didn't have, did half the things this here. This is so painful to yes. me to see your lid. Wait, you, give me one more. Give me one more. I got, I got, to, I got okay. to have one more. Do you, know, do you know about the Andrew Jackson parrot? No. So Andrew Jackson had this parrot, and apparently he had it in the Oval Office, and he would swear a lot, and this parrot had this filthy mouth. And the parrot, so when, when Andrew Jackson died... The parrot was at his funeral. So you have, he's the president, former president. There's all these dignitaries no. from whatever. Yes. And the parrot is letting loose <laughs> <laughs> and they, in the middle of the funeral. And they're like, whoa, we got to get this parrot out of here. So, yes, they had to, they had to uh, <laughs> usher oh the parrot God. out of his funeral. You know whatever. what I imagine, too, is I would yes. be surprised if the parrot was like, fucking <laughs> Absolutely. James K. Polk, that <laughs> yes. little dicked piece yes. of shit. Yes. Like, Calhoun can go fuck himself. You know, whatever. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. That's funny. You know, yes. actually, I heard something similar that Winston Churchill's parrot. Oh. That he had a parrot also that, that it outlived him. And whoever inherited Winston Churchill's parrot would hear, yeah. you know, fuck the Hitler, oh, right. fuck the Nazis. Right. There was a famous story where he was peeing and then this other... <laughs> This other uh, political opponent came, was peeing at the next urinal, and Churchill moved over. He goes, oh, well, every time you see something big, you want to nationalize it. <laughs> so Churchill oh, was, not a, was not opposed to a dick joke from time to time. Oh, who's opposed to a dick joke? <laughs> but it does make you think that, like, you, I don't think that people this high profile should have parrots. It sounds like it's early surveillance. Like, they're yes. going to be out there literally parroting your... <laughs> That's true. Right? There could be government secrets let out. Yeah. Yes. I love blowjobs. I love blowjobs. <laughs> I'd be like, well, now, where would the bird have heard yes. that? I yes. can't imagine. Clinton could not have had a parrot. No, There's no, no. No, no. Boy, he could that, been... that his presidency would have been over very quickly. I promise you'll come back. I would love to come back. Are you okay. kidding me? I can't. I can't wait. And I am so, so grateful uh, that you took the time oh, out of your I day to this. come. And, and you know what? And, and in the next year or whatever, when I, I'll... I'll jot other things down that, that make me laugh. And, and yes, and I love this. And I just love talking history. People are going to yeah. find my books, uh, you know, 150 years when I'm still a young, sprightly lady. And they're <laughs> going to find that I have written BK. They're, they're going to try to suss out. <laughs> they're going to try to suss out. Why, why do I have these little notations? <laughs> BK. And all of my notes will be like, that's going to make Brian Kylie laugh. <laughs> oh, well, thank you again. And, uh, and I can't wait to have you back. Thank you so much. It's so fun. Thank you again to my guest, Brian Kiley. I think you could hear how much damn fun I just had, and I can't wait to have him back. And thanks again to you for tuning in. I mean, this is all possible because of you and the gift of your time and your interest. Telling your friends, sharing the link, it makes all the difference. And each episode is breaking the record the last one set. It's a thrill, and I am so grateful. Now, if you are listening to this on the first day it drops, May 25th, 2022, then tomorrow 
is our first ever live recording. I mean, it's going to be a wild night of laughter and history and a few surprises all going down <clears throat> at the Glendale Reading Room in Glendale, California. You can get tickets from the link on Instagram. Now, if you're listening to the show after it happened, you know what? We just had our first ever live recording, and it was a wild night of laughter and history. And boy, those surprises, am I right? <laughs> You'll be able to see the photos and everything you missed on Instagram. And either way, you will hear this episode right here in July. But up next, episode 17, Joan of Arc. Ding! <laughs> With my guest, actress and improviser, Lauren Pritchard. Lauren and I have worked alongside each other for years at Universal Studios Hollywood, the entertainment capital of LA, and she is an absolute joy. You will not want to miss it. Until then, this has been Hilf. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history's a party and everybody's coming. <laughs>